You're listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. We're live each Monday night on YouTube, available for download every Wednesday morning through your favorite podcast provider, and always online at earfulofdirt.com. Bringing you the latest news, views, and abuse from across the United States, here's your hosts. And we're live. Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Thank you guys so much for jo- uh, for joking with us. Now, that's what <laughs> Liam was doing right before we came on air. Thank you for joining us. I'm Corey Munson, coming to you live from Iowa. I'm joined, as always, by Aaron Castro down in Arizona and Liam Madigan-Fried in Texas. Josh Fredlin, our moderator, is over in the comments section, hanging out on YouTube, so be sure to hit him up with your questions and comments during the show. Uh, With all that said, fellas, how's your week been? Uh, Not too bad. Not too bad at all. Um, raced down in, uh, Florence, Arizona. Um, you know, probably my fastest run ever off the bike. So I would say overall recovery and stuff from my accident last year is uh, pretty close. Um, but I, I would say I still have some numbness in my shoulder that appears when I work out pretty hard. So not really confident enough just yet to get to, uh, you know, back on the pitch. I am thinking Aspen Ruggerfest. Maybe I can drag the poach to play Aspen Ruggerfest in September. Well, best of luck to you in terms of getting on the field. Uh, I'm currently missing the national championship to do this podcast. And don't get me wrong, I love being around you guys. I love talking for you, fine people, and entertaining you and bringing you news about rugby. But God damn, would I love to be at a freaking bar right now. Uh, other than that, I've had a pretty good week. Got some work done with the Sabercats. Obviously, a pretty tough loss uh, coming home from Glendale. Um, what else can I say? I guess I'll tell you later in the show. Well, I had a pretty crazy weekend. I uh, Last week, I found out I've got a new job, so I'll be moving to uh, Des Moines, Iowa's capital city. We call it the big city around here. <laughs> And uh, so I uh, spent Saturday looking for an apartment and uh, found one. So, yeah, amazing. Found an apartment in one day. That has literally never happened to me. So Yeah, that's I'm, I'm very envious, dude. I went through hell looking for an apartment down here in Houston at one point, and there's tons of housing down here. So, yeah, I just got lucky. Right place, right time, I guess. So somebody was watching out for me. Uh, so, yeah, uh, for those new to the podcast, I guess I'll tell you a little bit about us instead of talking about my our housing issues. Uh, we are you're full of dirt. Uh, we spend each Monday night discussing news, rumors, and rumors from Major League Rugby, the United States Professional Rugby Union. It's a chance for us to talk through the issues, hear from the league, its players, team leadership, and check in with our rugby friends from across the U.S. With all that said, Aaron, you got the rundown for this week. Tell us what we're talking about. Oh, about that. So Seattle does Seattle things to Utah. Um, you know, Utah apparently can score a lot of points, but can't score enough. Um, Houston surges, and then they just flop like, like a banana peel. Uh, Toronto drops its home opener. Uh, that was an interesting game. And then San Diego, they just look perfectly on form, like they're going to make a run. I think they're out for blood for all those bonus points they missed out on. Great weekend of rugby. So this is the part of the show where we go through the uh, 
the game or the games, the weekend games piece by piece. So definitely going to do that. I just want to give a quick shout out before we get into it. Just say that uh, each Sunday night, Josh does a fantastic job giving us game recaps over on earfulofdirt.com. So uh, Sunday nights after the weekend of rugby, be sure to check out our website for those updates. That's earfulofdirt.com. So with that said, uh, the first game of the weekend saw Seattle winning against Utah, 48-36. to 36. Uh, The Seawolves continue to have close calls uh, this season. They were trailing 22-17 at the half, uh, but managed to outscore the Warriors 31-14 to 14 in the second half to come away with the victory. Liam, talk to us. That's something that I can do, Corey. That's something that I can do. Uh, again, for Utah, it's one of those games where they succeed in looking really good, but they don't exactly get a whole lot accomplished. It's been a huge problem for them this season. They're definitely a team that has a great degree of talent, but unfortunately, in terms of finishing games and putting it all together, uh, there's just something missing there, and it's really unfortunate. Uh, Utah, 5.4 meters per pass. Uh, Deadlocked with Seattle at 5.4 meters per pass. Utah slightly edging in possession advantage at 53%. Unfortunately, 10 penalties conceded by Utah, uh, that had a lot to say in terms of how much of that possession actually counted and played out for them. Just goes to show that this is a team that is really all flash between the 22s, but not much sizzle, uh, sizzle inside of them. So in terms of some standout guys for Seattle, of course, you need to talk about Brad Tucker, 85 meters on 13 carries and two tries. Great game. Brad is a great guy to have in the engine room and has been a big part of this team's effective scrum work thus far this season. And is the kind of versatile forward you can depend upon to uh, move the ball as well as be a great in the defensive phases. Along with him, you had Matt Turner uh, put up 190 meters while Brock Stoller 101 meters in his own right at 11.2 meters per pop. Now, despite the ultimate result, one thing we've been seeing over the last few weeks for Seattle is that they have weaknesses that can be exploited we saw that this week, particularly when it comes to teams getting fast starts on them. Uh, they fell the other week to San Diego and had games with both San Diego and Houston, who you think they or Austin and Houston, sorry, who you think they'd be far better uh, than, but yet they had to come from behind at certain points in both of those games. So do I still see t- Seattle as a, t- a playoff team? Absolutely. Do they have problems they need to fix if they want to sustain a championship run? Definitely. So, like I said last week, the guy you want on the pitch to start at nine is the Iceman Phil Mack, period. Um, Hell yeah. The the guy you want to develop and f- over time and finish each game is J.P. Smith. They do different things. Uh, Phil is a great leader. Uh, he's just uh, – there's just – as we talk about in football and, you know, not enough in rugby is intangibles. His intangibles – as they used to say about Tim Tebow, are, you know, you know, out of this galaxy. Uh, but uh, guys, you know, both guys played important roles in this one. Phil, as a leader, pushed the tempo and kept the Seawolves in the game, setting it up. Uh, then JP's bullet passes out of the ruck, uh, you know, hit, hit, hit carriers in space to break through Utah's defensive line, especially late in the half, second half. Uh, so, so funny stuff about scrum time, and this is, you know, where I'm probably way too nitpicky. Uh, so I, I, I don't think Kellen Gordon has ever played tight head prop, uh, but that happened. Uh, this was a really weird one. Uh, early on, the, the judge, Justice Sears Duru himself, uh, came on and – Ali Khalifi was 
on with him. And then I want to say five minutes later, Kellen Gordon came back onto the pitch and played tight head for, I want to say, 40 minutes, maybe a little more until he was replaced by Tim Metric. You know, I I thought scrum-wise, this this really played well for Franco Vandenberg because Franco Vandenberg has been getting beat up by the likes of Tim Metcher and Patty Ryan and Charlie Connolly and Jamie Deaver when he plays the tight head position. Like those, those really good scrummagers, he's kind of lost the battle. But uh, Franco had a really good game, and I, I wonder what it would have been like if Metcher had the whole game. But uh, hats off to Franco for uh, showing some improvement and out scrumming. Uh, you know, Seattle here. And he, he did some great stuff in the loose. Uh, these days, I'm really paying a lot more attention to what props do uh, with the ball in hand, especially when you have, we'll talk about Patty Ryan later, but a guy who's that good of a scrummager and then just, you know, goes to town on people. Uh, so Gannon Moore produced okay uh, since being capped, uh, but wasn't really too high on him uh, coming out of the ARC. But how did... Th- how did this guy, okay, not make being capped back in 2015 when he was in camp? If you look at his production since he's come back from the ARC and for the Warriors, he, he's, he's going off the rails. He is kicking ass. I want to say he had 190, maybe, maybe it, was, it was over 150 meters made uh, this weekend. Uh He's just a beast. He'll he as far as you know that knock on backup 12, 12 or thirteen to go in behind uh, Campbell or Lasique, or if one of them is injured to start in either the inside or outside center position for the way we like to play. Kenny Moore is a guy. He's a bad man. Bad bad man. Um. So Tim O'Malley really had a great game for all those wondering. Uh, he's Eagles eligible. Um, he's counted as a, a domestic player in the league, and he's a Kiwi, so you might. So that's kind of that's a great find by the Utah Warriors to find someone who is. Oh, I think he has a U.S. passport or something like that, but he's counted as a uh, uh, an American, which is great for them when it comes to foreign player slots. But uh, he's, I mean, as an inside center, he's a great distributor. Uh, you, you really. Like, without him, like, as a center pairing, Tim O'Malley and uh, Gannon Moore, uh, you know, they produced uh, on the weekend, I think, total. It was just shy of 300 meters made between the two of them and their teamwork there. Uh, you know, his boot is really good. But he also scored a try, too. So he's he's a really dynamic guy in the midfield. He's, he's a real big distributor. Uh, so... He's the kind of guy that could probably be slotted into the current construct as a fullback or join that stable of tens behind Aj McGinty. Uh, but, but he can play. Uh, but uh, as, as Liam said that, uh, you know, Utah's doing a whole lot of stuff. But they ain't getting a whole lot of results. You know who else uh, never, uh, never doesn't disappoint? Let's say that. Uh, Houston was up in uh, Glendale this weekend. Fuck you, Corey. Go on, son. You can and uh, managed to lose 
Simmer. Forty-four to yeah, fifty-two simmer. against the Raptors. So I guess oh, just yeah. logically, <laughs> if a team goes up thirty-two-0, you'd think the match would be pretty much over at that point. I thought it was. <laughs> so did I. Not going to lie. Well, it's just the luck of the Saber Cats that it wasn't the case here. Um, after earning two penalty tries, uh, Glendale and a Glendale yellow card. And going up 32-0 in the first 35 minutes, the Sabercats then proceeded to get outscored 52-12 in the final 45 minutes of the match, finishing things off 52-44. to uh, Aaron, I don't know, man. Yeah, you, you, you take this one first, so man. <laughs> to lessen the pain of Liam, let's talk about this one. Uh, so breaking it down, Houston played the possession game early on uh, with Sam Windsor. Uh, kicking for 217 meters on six kicks, and also the box-kicking game of Connor Murphy, 14 kicks for 293 meters. Also had some kicks in play as well. But <laughs> so uh, that, that possession game, and they forced Glendale to play to their strengths very early on. Uh, they kicked the ball uh, basically to the corner, and then they went to scrum time. I, you know, any, so I, I, analysis, I looked at that roster. So Brendan Daly is a true four. He can play six and he can be very dynamic when he has the ball in hand and he can plow through people, but he's a four and he is big. Like he put on some weight uh, throughout last year so that he could be a big and powerful man. Uh, I, I, I say this cause I stood next to him in a bar and he, he flexed his bicep. It was, it was big. Uh, but, uh, were you, were you looking at his biceps to begin with? Like, uh, did, did you ask well, him to flex his bicep or was it well, like a reaction? Was he like, who? Well, no, it was a disc. I was like, man, dude, you look like you've gotten bigger. And he was like, uh, yeah, they, they told me if I wanted to compete, uh, for the Eagles again, I needed to put on. 30 pounds and he put on 30 pounds and he was built like a brick shit house before and he is <laughs> built like a brick shit house now <laughs> but, brick uh, shit house and even he is, bigger brick shit house he's a bigger brick shit house now but he is he's a big man uh but he's a true four compared to William Monroe um who is smaller than him by by a good margin and Luke White who has definitely leaned leaned down from last year. Uh, Luke, I need you to go back to loose head prop. I, I don't know who said be lock, but you're either playing six for me or you're playing one for me. You got to make a choice. Just I, you, your technical skills as a loose head prop are very much needed. Uh, Aaron just, Castro says so. So Luke, you better get on this man. I don't, don't see much choice at this point. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and uh, so that, so that, so that's an issue. Like you have, so you have two true locks uh, in the engine room for Houston and you have, you have no true locks. You have flankers playing in the engine room for Glendale, but that's not everything. That's not the only reason those dudes, Blake Rogers and, uh, Kelepi Fafita, they were getting their ass beat because their form was off, their their hand their hand usage was off. Like they were they were getting beat. Period. 
but it helps when you have heavy locks in the engine room able to also push and drive, giving you stability. However, so, on, on, the, on the other hand, you have to look at it, though, if you have lighter locks or just like a lighter scrum overall, while you're obviously going to face problems like Glendale did against Houston, when it comes to keeping the ball in hand, you have a greater average speed amongst the 15 people on the field. When it, well, so well, let's, let's one get, way to look at it. Let's get, let's get to some of that. So um, playing to Houston's strengths, it took them a little bit of time, but this is one of the things I haven't seen Glendale do, and that is adapt. Uh, Glenn Houston went up 32 to zero. They were running their attack very well, uh, playing possession game and, you know, Glendale couldn't tackle for shiznit at all. So I thought this was about to get dangerous because, uh, you know, the ref was kind of <laughs> good old, uh, good old Elgin Williams. I, is it, was that Elgin's first game? I, Josh, maybe have you, seen that guy ref before i don't you can pipe in and say yes or no but i don't remember oh he did it oh thank you he did a game last week that makes you feel better <laughs> josh is a very skittish creature you know sometimes <laughs> we have to goad him <laughs> but, into uh, the broadcast. you know I, I thought he was gonna man i thought i thought he was gonna be like the the ref last week and just Issue cards to the front Glendale front row. Like he's throwing money at the club. <laughs> and uh, but uh, you know he didn't. They, they didn't get too too bad. But so they adjusted uh, late. Uh, well, in the second half, really uh, off the back of Johnny the mutant muscles. Ryberg went into hero mode. If he doesn't score those two tries. Uh, late in the first half, it, this this doesn't happen. Um, you know, in the second half, what did they do? Uh, Glendale started holding onto the ball, and then they just they just did what they do when it comes to their dynamic attack, and they just pushed the ball wide, pass, 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 offload, offload. They hummed, and they just wore the Saber Cats out by not playing to the Saber Cats' strength. When it came to line out, instead of the scrum, they took the line out. And they didn't run a set piece with the ball. They took the ball out of the line out and they just made the Sabercats run after them the rest of the night. And it obviously didn't go so well for the Sabercats because they were outscored 52 to 12 from after going up 32 0. Yeah. So definitely. Like you guys can infer, it wasn't a good night for anybody in the Sabercats organization. Blowing a lead like that, uh, it's unacceptable to everybody, uh, you know, on the field and in the office. And obviously, you know, that's that's pretty clear to people at, at this point. But why is this happening? So I, to make myself a little bit better and to kind of organize it in my head, I did what I normally do. I looked at the stats. Well, line breaks due to missed tackles is a big issue. I know Aaron mentioned a little bit earlier that Glendale was missing tackles left and right in the first half, which is definitely true. But Houston had 35 missed tackles, um, all, you know, still while controlling 51% of, uh, of possession, and they allowed a whopping total of 14 line breaks. So you can make all the heroic tackles in the trenches that you want. If you allow those kind of numbers on defense, you're not going to be effective. All right. So Glendale had a t grand total of 1,244 meters on the ground with an average uh, meters per pass of six even. 
Houston, less than half of that at 502 total meters, but a pretty good meters per pass mark of 7.7, most of that coming in the first half, of course. However, what's more impressive, uh, you know, for Glendale, I guess, and perhaps a little bit more woeful for the Sabercats, is that they had three different players go over 100 meters. Uh, Johnny Mossels, Ryberg, of course, leading the pack with 161 total to go along with three tries on the game. Uh, after him, you had a big, the big man, Luke White, with 127, and Murphy Ta- uh, Tar- Taramai with 112 meters. So, uh, yeah, Glendale, tons of playmakers on the outside. Mika Cruze, no tries this time, but still really effect, um, not as effective as he, as he has been this season, but still flashing all of his raw uh, talent and potential uh, at the young age of 20. Uh, the Caps, meanwhile, they definitely did have their fair share of meaningful contributors. Uh, of course, with a 32 nothing lead, you have to at some point. Cecil Garber had 10 meters per carry on the night, uh, while Kelly Colbert got a try and showed why he's still one of the most tenacious players in Major League Rugby. He ended up leaving the game with a uh, with an injury, but he's still one of my favorite guys on this team, and I think he, you know, I think he's going to show some more special things going forward as long as he comes back healthy. Uh, then my man uh, Malachi Esdale racked up 91 meters in a try. This guy. People don't doubt his raw, you know, natural ability and his, you know, his playmaking potential. But I feel like he's not talked about enough just because of the Sabercats record. Uh, I feel like if he gets involved more, the more touches Esdale gets, I feel like the more successful the Sabercats can be. He forces people to commit more than one person to a tackle just to get him down. And he also pushes the gain line uh, forward way faster than a lot of the people on the outside of him can. So get more Esdale in there. Get Kelly Colberg healthy. Keep, uh, you know, allowing the scrum to do what it's doing. All right. Third up, we had uh, the NOLA Gold traveling all the way north. Nola's Is NOLA the most southern team we have? Yeah. Um, I would. So the most, most the most southern? The most yeah, well, southern? It's definitely guess, the most southern. I guess the most if we're going it's, by longitudinal, is it the southernmost team? <laughs> and if, if we're going by longitudinal, um, I think Houston is. But as far as being southern is concerned, they are more southern than Atlanta. <laughs> I do declare they're the most authentically southern team. Traveled to the most northernly team's home this weekend. <laughs> As Nola uh, stole one from the Arrows, 35-31. This is the first ever Major League Rugby match, the first professional rugby union match to be held on Canadian soil, and the first of eight straight home matches the Arrows have uh, coming up for them. They played in front of a sold-out York Stadium crowd of 3,081 people, and uh, apparently had some beer issues that I'm told, thanks to Twitter, is now resolved. Um, so, yeah, Arrows uh, uh, have addressed the issue of running out of beer, uh, and it will not happen again, but uh, apparently mm-hmm. they still need to address what the hell happened last week and how they lost that game. So, Liam, <laughs> you're going to fill us in on that part. Yeah, sure. Leave it to the Canadians to run out of beer. Just shameful. You got you to gotta learn how to be do it in the United States when it comes to rugby. And step one, bring the beer, okay? So just want to say, I knew it. I called it. Count it. Just because Toronto was at home does not didn't 
didn't mean that they were automatically going to win this win this game. All right. Uh you know, Nola is has been the better team. They've been the better team all season. They've been a, a lot more effective on both offense and defense. Toronto, they're still the team that operate, operates kind of slowly when they're at their worst. And, and Nola's just built to take advantage of that with the amount of depth that they have acro- across the board and the, just how athletic they are, you know, on average uh, between all their players. Now, the gold had 953 meters gained with a slightly below average meters per pass of 4.7. That's okay. They still controlled 50% uh, of the possession to go along with a 68% gain line mark. All that helping to ensure that they stayed within reach of a comeback should one be needed, which, of course, they did. If you look at the individual parts of those stats, Nola, just like Glendale, uh, saw three different players go over the century mark in terms of meters gained. Those being Tristan Blewett, Con Foley, and J.P. Eloff with 126, 113, and 106 meters uh, respectively. Oh, and here's something that will shock you. Tristan Blewett scored a try. Shocked. Uh, what? 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 Yeah, I know, what? right, dude? I, no, no, I, no, no, no. Tristan Blewett scored an intercept try. Yeah. That's, so, uh, color me shocked. I think I need to look <laughs> at my notes. I think it's for half of his Should, tries are off intercept. Cam Dolan might be uh, getting annoyed since Cam Dolan has – uh, if we do this correctly, I think Cam Dolan has the record of intercept tries scored in an Eagles jersey or something crazy. It's something weird. It's like six. Yeah, well, no, leave it to uh, Noel to find those playmaking guys on the out on the outside. Although Cam Dolan is on the inside. Whatever, go figure. Um, but not to ride Nola too much. Uh, we're going to go over to Austin. Gaston Mirez uh, led the way for Toronto. Is he even French? Why am I pronouncing him like that? Mieres? Mieres. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Led, led the way for Toronto in terms of tries, putting two down in goal to go along with three line breaks. Uh, alongside him, Dan Moore, as always, was a pretty competitive factor in this match. Ten carries with 101 meters gained. Uh, you know, pretty good showing. Unfortunately, just wasn't enough to secure that victory. Uh, Toronto, they have the working parts to be competitive, plus they have a guy named Johnny Moonlight. Like, are you kidding me? That sounds like a 50s greaser game nickname. And if that's not the most marketable name in the Major League Rugby, then I don't know what the hell is. Oh, um, Harley I, Davidson. I, oh, all right. Yeah, my bad. So, sorry, Harley. Never mind. Uh, but Johnny Moonlight. Yeah. finger. He's got to use the finger guns. Johnny, finger guns. It'll work. Trust me. Uh, but, but also, you know, you, you might, you might not trust me in saying that I don't think Toronto is a championship caliber team this year. I don't know. Prove me wrong. Johnny Moonlight. <laughs> <laughs> um, Johnny Moonlight. I uh, love Johnny Moonlight. Johnny Moonlight's a great guy. I worked for him, I guess. Ish. I was the team Canada liaison when they played at Silicon Valley sevens. Really, really good dude. I was very pissed when he retired, but he somehow found himself back to playing rugby. Uh, For anyone who wants to know, the reason why he hasn't been in the Toronto shirt every weekend is because he's a firefighter and duty calls. So got to make that money. A firefighter named Johnny Moonlight. Like, yeah. I feel like that's a comic. Like, is that not like the coolest graphic novel idea? Like, a firefighter by hey, day, rugby player, superhero by go. night. Hey, somebody who <laughs> works in comics needs to just make that happen. 
Yeah, yes. yo, I was straight up, I'll write it if you want to draw it. <laughs> uh, so, so I clicked on this game. I was rushing back from Costco. Um, Costco, you should sponsor us. Thank you. Uh, and Nola were up fourteen to seven. I think all of us picked. I need to go. Maybe, maybe only I picked Nola. I don't know. I think there we had like a two of three, two, two of two to one picking Toronto. Uh, they were up 14 to seven, got that penalty try early on. Uh, what? Uh, not that I doubted new Orleans. Uh, I don't, uh, I just, I just thought the arrows would get this, especially after that smashing of Utah. But I, I suppose it really shows, uh, where the warriors are as a team versus where the gold are as a team. Uh, but, the swamp donkeys know how to get it done. <laughs> what done. the fuck? <laughs> Did you say swamp donkeys? Yeah, the swamp donkeys. <laughs> uh, they got it done. This sounds um, like something like in middle school. You're like, yeah, yeah. You know what a swamp donkey is? <laughs> <laughs> and on that day, Johnny Moonlight was defeated by the swamp donkey. <laughs> yeah, this girl gave me a swamp donkey. <laughs> Right when I'm trying to clean this up, we go dirty. Uh, so, so Tristan Blewett, man on fire. He, you know, every other game, intercept try. It is what he does. Um, you know, if you're going to make a long pass, be prepared for him to steal it and make you pay. Uh, all the gold, although the gold won this thing, I, it was contentious for a very long time. Toronto had some exceptional players, specifically Sh- uh, Shepard, just being you know a lunch pail guy, and then Lucas Rumball, who led the league in tackles this week. <laughs> oh my god, uh, twenty six tackles. Uh, Tucker had twenty four, so he had some competition uh, in the Seattle in the Seattle uh, Sea Wolves lock, but man. That was a lot. Had 73 meters made, so had a, had a really good game from Lucas Rumball. Um, but overall, I, I really looked at that this NOLA game as a, a true team effort where, you know, you did have standouts in, in Foley and Eloff and Blewett, but just, uh, I don't know, it just seemed like a really weird game, if, if that makes sense to anyone. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, guess what you got to do? You got to go get that bonus point um, when it's kind of weird in Toronto. And uh, they put themselves in pole position again uh, this week. Also, to Nick Henry, your potato salad, it goes on the side. It does not go in my gumbo rugby. All right. Thank you for the culinary tip, Mr. Castro. Appreciate it. Oh, I guess there was one thing I wanted to talk about this game a little bit more. I I would say that Nola squandered a lot of possession because one of the things we've seen with teams that just kick the other team's butt is pass differential and meters made. So there was an almost 300 meters made difference, but the pass differential is crazy. Uh, they had 75, yeah, 75 more passes than, uh, than, uh, Toronto did. And that is what, um, allows you to find the gaps 
in someone's defense is when you have a high ball movement attack. Also, when you're forcing the other team just to make that many tackles, it's going to wear them out, you know, and especially like, you know, even if you turn the ball over, those offensive phases are going to be stymied just a little bit from, you know, from, from a big uh, excursion of energy from all those defensive phases. Very good. Any other thoughts on this one, fellas? Now nah, let's keep it rolling. All right. Uh, last up was San Diego, who had no problem taking care of Austin Elite, and that was 45 15. Uh, a couple of weeks of looking like a team ready to, ready to uh, turn the corner, the Austin Elite took a step back this weekend against uh, the Legion. They got off to a quick start early. Uh, um, after a long-distance penalty kick. Uh, however, San Diego responded with three tries and relative quick succession. Succession? Succession. 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 Yeah, succession is when you leave the union. It succeeded. So, yeah, succession. Oh, my gosh. Quit seceding from the English language, please. Yeah, I'll try. Uh, Aaron, you better help me out because I'm just, it's going downhill quick. Tell us about the game. Uh, so what do you want to know? San Diego's roster is the best in the league right now, bar none. Uh, we're going to get into uh, a preview about that because they're going to go kick someone's butt next weekend. Uh, but Sunday night, uh, I wanted to see Austin take another step. Uh, they didn't. Did they take a step back? I, I don't know. But I do know... <laughs> So we all saw what San Diego did to the Seawolves. We saw the intensity that they brought against that game. I don't think they brought that same intensity against Austin. They never left second gear. They just throttled Austin. It was, it was some child's play, you know. Uh, scrummaging didn't really matter. Uh, it wasn't a contest. Uh, yeah, it was kind of fun watching Juan Echevarria get pissed off. Uh, in fact... Thank you, San Diego, for not scoring more than 30 points against more having a point differential of more than 30 points because someone's buying me a beer. Thank you. Um, Nate Augsburger, Nathaniel Channel, as you are on the Twitterverse, you're a bad man. Uh, so Nate knows I've been a critic uh, of his as a scrum half. I think as a wing, he does things that... You know, some some other wings don't do. I mean, he is a dynamic player. But when it comes to his form as a scrum half right now, he he's he is on fire. His service is good. Uh, his carries around the ruck, as he previously used to do, uh, lead to tries continuously. Happened last week, happened this week. Uh, so he will definitely be pushing Davies De Haas and Boyer at scrum half during PNC camps. And Boyer, uh, unless, uh, you know, something happens, Boyer might get left behind uh, with this form unless, you know, he's able to push Nate out of the nine spots. So maybe it's De Haas who gets left behind. I don't know. Uh, a lot of efficient ball from the kicking game. 408 meters from Joe Peterson, uh, Nate Augsburger, Mike Teo, which – uh, really created a lot of issues for Austin. They were basically pinned back inside, uh, I think, their 10-meter line way too much of this game. And let's talk about the floodgates opening. So a really bad clearance kick. I think it was from Rodrigo Silva. Maybe it was Andres Villaseca. I forget. Uh, 
I don't think it went 10 meters. They weren't ready for it. Well, Ryan Marius, oh, he was ready. He snagged it, waltzed into the try zone in the second quarter, and it just, uh, they just kept playing the possession game, kicking, kicking for possession, and just scoring a lot of points. Uh, surprisingly, this could have been worse. Uh, or unsurprisingly, this could have been worse. I know we talked about Psalm last week, um, but he wants that sixth jersey for the Eagles. Talk about a guy who has really developed uh, just this season alone. Um, he is playing like a maniac. Uh, you know, click clack. Can you hear us coming? I think John Quill is sending clear is being sent a clear message for who could start at uh, you know at blindside flanker. I think it could be some Wuching right now based on this form. Most definitely, most definitely. So yeah, I'm gonna say this week after week until that I'm until I'm proven wrong. And I don't see this corner that Austin is supposedly uh, you know supposed to turn around coming anytime soon. They still make way too many mistakes, and for every possession that looks really good, they have two more that remain stagnant, or they end in a turnover or a penalty. And you know, I, I just I just haven't seen the improvements that are gonna stop that from happening consistently every single game. Surprisingly, Austin split this game pretty evenly in terms of possession, 49% to San Diego's 51%. But you want to talk about territory, San Diego may as well have set up shop in Austin's end of the field with a total territory mark of 64% compared to 36% from Austin. Meanwhile, as you might have expected, San Diego vastly outgained Austin in meters, 798 compared to 543. San Diego had an average meters per pass of 5.9. Austin, meanwhile, below average at about 5.1. Uh, lots of standout players in this game, particularly for the Legion. One guy you have to mention, though, as Aaron already did, is Ryan Matias. Uh, Ryan finished the night with 105 meters on eight carries for an average meter per carry mark of 13.1. Also throwing a try in there. This guy has now been the Legion's most consistent performer for two whole seasons. Uh, to give credit to the elite, though, Lerome White had himself a pretty good day, scoring a try along with a six-point... Uh, Except a six for point the five. three penalties he conceded against Patty Ryan. Yeah, yeah, well, F off. Uh, to give credit <laughs> to him, though, he had a 6.5 meter <laughs> per carry mark on the night. He's a rough player, you know, despite the penalties, uh, you know, he, he conceded against Patty. Uh, he often forces teams to commit more than one player to him in the tackle, which opens up stuff for his teammates. Uh, you know, definitely something that you can uh, develop around for the Austin Elite. Uh, San Diego still on my list to make the playoffs, though. Yeah, I, I think they're out for blood when it comes to uh, when it comes to bonus points. They know what they have to do. They know that, especially based on this Glendale bonus point win uh, in you know in Denver, it. Uh, they they know that they cannot just take four points from wins the rest of the way, and I think they're going to make people pay. Fair enough. Uh, the other game this weekend was the exhibition match at the Kara Cup, uh, where the Free Jacks faced off against Munster. Uh, did any of you guys have an opportunity to see parts of that game? Unfortunately, I was only able to watch highlights of it, though. Uh, there was a few good ones, um, and obviously this is a game that, you know, you definitely can't say it's, it, it's a blowout. We've had MLR teams uh, lose games in a much greater fashion than this, and uh, yeah, so this definitely has given me hope for what Boston's outlook is going to look like for 2020. 
Yeah, so the uh, Free Jack did come up short against uh, Munster. Or, yeah, it was Munster. It was 1938 was the final score on that one. Aaron, did you catch anything? Uh, I, I did not have a chance to get it. I heard, you know, over. I'm a bit surprised at the score line. It seems you were, you went on the under, and both Liam and I went on the over on that. Uh, but good for them. That's a uh, that's a really good result overall. I have to say. Absolutely. All right. So getting to those results from last weekend, this is the part where we get to uh, torture ourselves with how bad we are at picking the winners. <laughs> Uh, starting off the first game uh, Friday night, Seattle took care of Utah, forty-eight to thirty-six. Aaron, you had Seattle by ten, good call. Se- uh, Liam had Seattle by nine, also a good call. Corey had Utah by two, not a good call. Um, you're very bad at this. Yeah, man, I am so bad. <laughs> Electricity I mean, pig God. would be disappointed. <laughs> Oh, Saturday, Saturday we had um, Sabercats at Glendale. That was 44 to 52 Glendales in Glendale's favor. Um, Aaron, you had Glendale by 10. Uh, Liam, you had Houston by 6, and I had Glendale by 15. So I thought uh, I was going to be sitting pretty on this at the end of the first half, man. Like, damn. Yeah, I think we all did. Hey, not so lie. so if we if if there's ever gambling in this sport and uh, we don't work for sporting organizations, uh, you know, you could have made a bunch of money uh, if you only bet the first half, uh, Liam. I could have, I, I could have, and you know, not saying that I condone illegal gambling, but there's always avenues for which I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the guy who uh, goes and puts a hundred bucks every year in Vegas on uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes winning the national football championship. <laughs> and he's probably not, it's probably not going to happen in his lifetime, but who knows Weird things have happened. Yeah. You, you never know. And the, you know what? The one time it does happen, that guy is going to be sitting pretty, believe yep. me. <laughs> one more game uh, to go though, where uh, we can see how bad we are or how bad Aaron is actually in this case. Hey, this one makes me feel good. <laughs> Hello. Look at Hello. your – only one of you got close to the differential. I was the closest. So – but I got the wrong team. <laughs> uh, so we Sunday we had uh, Nola beating the Arrows 35-31. to 31. Uh, Aaron, you had Toronto by three. Liam, you had Nola by 11. I had Nola by 6. So good job on us for picking the winners there. And then Sunday night, the late game was uh, Austin Elite at San Diego. And I don't think anyone expected anything different on this one. So uh, 45-15 was the final score on that in San Diego's favor. Aaron, you had San Diego by 7. Liam had him by 12, and I had him by 20. Uh, finally, for that uh, Munster game, uh, where Munster lost by 19, uh, yeah, Munster won by 19, I apologize, uh, against the Free Jacks. Aaron, you had 22, Liam, you had 21, and I had 12. So you guys were, I mean, you were right in line. So good on that. Then, of course, um, we cannot 
Well, actually, let's go ahead and shift that down right below. Aaron, you want to talk us through standings real quick? Um, I mean, I, I'll just hit that score line. I uh, not really to talk about it. Just uh, for the D1 Elite Final, Lindenwood Lions beat uh, Life University women thirty-six to nineteen. So. Uh, if you haven't caught that game, it was on USA Rugby's YouTube channel, and it is free. Clap it up, free rugby. Yeah, man. It, w- it would take a pretty awful person to make people consistently pay for rugby, you know, especially <laughs> just club rugby. Hey, Aaron, can you give us the two-second analysis on that? Was uh, Linden Linden's win there a surprise? Is that about um, what folks were expecting? Well, Lindenwood is, I think this is their third title in three years straight, but they won, they did the the double last year in sevens and fifteens, so they were the defending champions. Uh, Life University, uh, it was a rematch from last year's game, so it was a grudge match per se. Uh, Life University went up uh, early uh, by two tries, and then, uh, you know, Lindenwood just sort of, they flipped the switch and they went to town. Very good. All right. So in back to MLR then, after 11 weeks, uh, what are our standings? So uh, guess what, New York? Uh, even with a bonus point win this weekend, which – We'll get to we'll get to that prediction soon. Uh, you would not overtake uh, Nola in the standings because you would just be one down. Um, sorry. Uh, so atop the standings, seven and two with thirty-eight table points is Nola Gold. Second on the table. This is where it gets funky. Uh, with thirty-three table points, you've got the five, three, and two. Uh, so they played more games than New York. Okay, they played two more. So this is where the math gets funky. Um, but five, three, and two. So they've won less than the next three teams. Um, they are at second on the table. New York at seven and one with thirty-two table points. They are tied, base, but they have the tiebreaker uh, based on having one. Uh, le- two less losses and one more win in Seattle. Um, at but 32 table points for Seattle in the four hole right now, uh, at six and three. Uh, it's important to note that San Diego fifth has the highest point differential in the league. Uh, they now have a greater point differential than both NOLA and New York. Um, <laughs> They are sitting at fifth at six, two, and one with 31 table points. And I'm pretty sure they're going to take someone's lunch this weekend. Uh, Toronto at sixth. Oh, man, they, they've got a big, they've got a big hill to climb. They have 24 table points. They are four and five at this point in the season. Uh, and then at seventh, uh, it's, it's really lonely down uh, at the bottom three. At two and six with 11 table points is the Houston Sabercats. And, you know, Utah got a bonus point this weekend. Uh, Two bonus points. Was it two? No, just the one uh, with 10 table points at one, six, and one. And, uh, you know, as always, um, well, um, inching closer towards undefeated at 0 and 10 with four table points 
is Austin Elite. Was that is undefeated the right word to use there? Well, I, I got it from somebody else when the Lions went undefeated. Unwind, non-winning. Uh, what, whatever. Drowned. I mean, he was Hugh Jackson. <laughs> uh, but the the point is, you should get a special award if you lose every single game, because it takes something special. To lose every single game. The, 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 or at least ja- that was the, the Hugh Jackson award. That was the case with the Lions, at least. Yeah. <laughs> it took something special there. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly what I was thinking, Josh. Josh said it should be the Wooden Doug. <laughs> uh, the Wooden uh, Doug Award. All right. So coming up, we have got Week 12 action just ahead of us. Uh, starts off this weekend, Saturday, April 13th, 3 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Plus with Utah visiting NOLA Gold. Uh, well, guys, I, I don't think there's going to be a surprise here, but what do you think for the score lines? Um, well, Utah has scored a lot of points and NOLA gives up a lot of points, but Utah also can't score enough. Um, yeah. NOLA's going to do it and they're going to beat them by 12. Um, so there you go. I'm going to go NOLA by 10 here. Uh, again, Utah's going to look good doing what they do, but NOLA's going to be the more complete team. I'm going big on this one. I'm going to say NOLA's going to win by 20. They're back home, and uh, there's nothing like a home field advantage. So, uh, Plus, it's very possible uh, you know, the Warriors might go out for supper the night before, get into some uh, hot and spicy Cajun food that they just can't handle. From up, uh, up north there. <laughs> uh, and like, what? what is it? I need to, well, it's not Montezuma's Revenge because it's not Mexican food, but uh, we need to call, we need to figure out something to call that. Some yeah. t- uh, Acadian Revenge. <laughs> uh, they might but- end up putting their swamp donkeys where they don't belong, man. It's, it's <laughs> NOLA. <laughs> So Saturday night, we have got Seattle traveling to Houston. That's 6 p.m. Eastern on Facebook Watch. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Aaron, what do you think on this one? Uh, Seattle minus 10. Uh, They just... uh, Come on. I I, I really... I don't know. I, I can't really see the Houston even pulling this one up even if it's the Aviva home opener. I, I I got I they just they just gave up a 32 point lead man they they don't they're no Four, I'm still I'm still going Houston I'm still going Houston minus two man freaking it, it's the Aviva home opener and they're hungry for a win especially after that after the giving up Liam's that lead. holding on to the raft <laughs> you know uh round yeah, <laughs> you know, around these parts, we always say even a broken clock's right twice a day. So, you know, Liam, you just keep guessing that. It'll, it'll I, I, I thought you guys just again. said uh, like can't get there from here. <laughs> I'm saying <laughs> I'm saying Seattle by five. I think it is going to be a close game, uh, but I do think that Seattle, uh, their experience and quality of consistent quality of play is going to win out in the end. So. Uh, that takes us to Sunday afternoon, another ESPN Plus game. This is at 1 p.m. Eastern, San Diego at Rooney. Uh, boy, I, you know, this I think this is going to be a good game. I really, really do. So, Aaron, why don't you take us with your prediction? Um, well, both of 
these games are on they overlap this is annoying um yeah uh, so this can be a great game, I, I think. Uh, San Diego travels to New York. It re- well, it could be a bad game. It really depends on the roster that New York is able to field. I know they tried, they rested some players against Austin, but they also had to rest some players against Austin. They are uh, dealing with some fitness and injury issues uh, that they hopefully the buy solved. However, the Legion are ready. Um, you know, they just did a, did a warm up against Austin. Their f- roster is fully fit, and they've, you know, what they have. What do they have, Aaron? They have Joe Peterson. I mean, Mighty Joe. They have they have a great scrum, but they've got the best fly half in the league. Uh, basically playing this crazy possession game, pushing. They're they're going to be playing inside their ten meter line all game. So, there's that. So, San Diego minus seven. I'm going to go San Diego minus five. I agree with Aaron. I think this is San Diego's time. They're looking to make that leap into the playoffs. And if they can keep uh, Rugby United New York down by more than seven and and make sure that they uh, get no bonus point out of this contest, they could potentially kick them out of the playoff race uh, for the time being. So, I think that's something that San Diego is going to be hungry to do. So, San Diego minus five. Well, I'm going to be the contrarian here because I'm terrible at picking these things and go ahead and just say Rooney wins by 10. Double digits. I have absolutely no reason for this one. I just, I like home teams. So I think that's my excuse. (laughs) Uh, Good as any. Good as any. Last game of the weekend. And you're right, Aaron, this does overlap at 2 p.m. Eastern. So an hour offset on Sunday on ESPN Plus is. Austin Elite traveling to Toronto. And, uh, yeah, I think we all pretty much know how this one's going to go. So, Aaron, what's your scoreline? Toronto minus 15. Uh, I actually – I was looking at this one thinking that Austin would – it was possible if, uh, you know, if they had an okay game against San Diego, but they did not. And uh, Toronto, they don't – they definitely don't want to be sixth. So they're going to be aiming for a bonus point. So there you go. Uh, I'm going to go Toronto minus 11. I think this is going to be a comparatively competitive match. I'm not too impressed with either of these teams overall this season, but I think Toronto is the better accumulative team here. So yeah, Toronto minus 11. And I'm going to Toronto by 14 on this one. So uh, yeah, I just, I think it's going to be a pretty good thumping. Uh, so, so apparently yeah. we were we were asked if we wanted to change our NOLA predictions because there's an 80% chance of rain. Um, I'm sticking with mine. I, I'm good. I might even I might even put it up like when I go into Super Brew and make the pick. But uh, I'm I'm good. New Orleans is they're gonna win. Just think about this. It does not rain in the desert. Um. True. Yeah, pretty much. So, think about that one for a minute. Yeah, Aaron, but for some reason you live in a place where people decided it was okay to have a civilization, you know, despite hey, we, the crucial fact that We get plenty of rain between June and August, man. We got them storms and shit. Like it, <laughs> all, all I got to say is 
People say it's a dry heat. They say that. They are idiots because they have not been here from mid-June. It's it's hot. (laughs) From mid-June to the end of August when the monsoon is cranking and it gets up to 120 and you step outside. It's hot, but it's like 50% humidity and you just, your shirt just is soaked. Oh, I'm sorry. Hold on a second. 50% humidity. Yeah, 50? but it's not 120 in Iowa. So calm. You go back into it, your hole. It, it is you. often it is often 95 to 100 and about 90% humidity. Uh, I'm I'm happy for you, but add 10 to add 20 degrees. Just add just add 20 degrees. See what happens is the corn sucks in the moisture and then releases it on hot air on hot days, making it even humider than is humider a word? More humid than it would normally. Well, maybe we should stop giving farmers ethanol subsidies. <laughs> so if for the, for those keeping track at home, this is a drink situation because we have gone off on a long-winded conversation <laughs> having nothing to do about rugby. <laughs> Uh, I should say as the, um, you know, atmospheric science is a pretty big major uh, at NVU Linden. So I just want to say uh, it doesn't get that that very uh, humid in New England, but it gets cold. So yeah. I guess that's what I bitch about. <sighs> so uh, the the, uh, the other game this weekend, of course, is the final round of the Kara Cup uh, where the Free Jacks will uh, take on Linster. And that is Saturday, uh, the 14th at 5 p.m. Eastern. And those have been showing online. So if you want to stream those or that. And uh, I don't think any of us think the Free Jacks are going to win. But why don't you guys talk me through your picks on this one? Um, So Leinster is the best first side in, uh, in Ireland. So they have a crazy schools competition. So we're talking about their A-side and their club system. So I think, uh, you know, by close, I'm going to go with minus 20 for Leinster. I'm going to go with uh, Leinster minus 14. I think the Free Jacks have been showing themselves to be pretty competitive, and I think they'll they'll keep this one, you know, close in terms of what we're expecting uh, the talent disparity to be. I'm going to go big on this one and say the Free Jacks are falling by 30. I, uh, I I agree that they have definitely been improving, but this is just this is going to be a tough one. So, yeah, I think they're going to finish out of this one with a whimper, not a uh, not a great battle cry. So, we'll see. Uh, I'll probably be wrong. Bean sound, do. baby. Don't never underestimate. Boston strong. Fuck right. All right. Uh, I think it's about time we talk. Take some questions from Bob. What do you guys think? Yeah, I'm, I'm down. All right. First up, we got T. Adams. Which MLR players do you see on the Eagles World Rugby uh, Rugby World Cup roster next or this year? You're rough. I, God, yeah. I should type out Rugby World Cup. Um, Saul Mucci. Um, I think he even he might even start two games, maybe three. Um, I'm obviously not going to go through and do a complete roster. Uh, there's the, the, there's a big difference between who I think I'm going to see and who I'd want to see. Who I'd like to see is Zach Pangelinen, um, you know, Malachi Esdell from the Sabercats, uh, maybe Zinzan Elon Pudik uh, from Austin, Danny Collins from New England. 
Uh, that's a lot of fullbacks back there, but people know me. I'm a, I know I'm a fullback guy. Uh, also from the Sabre, O'Kelly, you know, if, if he gets fully healthy and puts some more tape, uh, you know, on a reel, you know, he's somebody who I think could definitely be effective. All right. LL Rugby 1. And this is, if the last, if I'm reading the last one was rough, this is going to be worse. With the Chicago Fire of MLS on a path to complete a buyout from their current home in Bridgeview and moving back into the city, and the MLL folding their Odets team, do these locations raise red flags uh, for the league to move into? Uh, the Fire Stadium could be uh, scaled down to a more reasonable five to th- uh, ten thousand seats. Uh, so I'm totally in favor of of an Ohio location. I think the uh, Major League Rugby would do really well to expand uh, to more locations in the Midwest. However, Ohio is really big with Tiger Rugby, and from what I understand, Tiger Rugby has a big stake in Rugby ATL. So I'm not sure how that how that will work out in terms of the rugby culture there. But I'm sure fans would still love to see a professional team. So, so the way that would work is they don't have a stake. Is that they are contracted to to operate um, the uh, or partnered with whatever it is to operate the thing. So Paul Holmes, he's free to do whatever he does wants to do because he lives in Ohio, and he does not. James Walker is the Tiger rugby person that is employed to do the operations for, for Rugby Atlanta. Whereas Paul Holmes, he, he's talking with some people in Ohio. And from what I understand, the package is good. Uh, maybe, maybe there will be an Ohio team very, very shortly. But um, so I, I just saw that uh, Chicago Fire are looking to go back to Soldier Field. I was. I was hoping they were looking to build an interior, smaller stadium, but uh, it looks like that's not going to be good. So, uh, yeah, it, you know, if, if the stadium is available, you can definitely scale it down and um, to go for it. Uh, unless, you know, when there is a Chicago team, we're talking year five and teams, present teams have to move to bigger locations and then you really don't have to scale it down because you're telling teams they need, you know, 12,000 capacity. Um, yeah. Fair enough. Bobby digital 24. When does Houston dump, dump their coaching staff and Liam, I'm swearing you off this question. Just, just, yeah, don't, don't, don't even participate. Aaron, what do you think? Um, when the owners decide they want to make a change, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm over this question, whether it become, whether it's in regards to Utah or in regards to Austin, because, you know, we've done the analysis, we, we've made the punditry and, uh, I don't know the details of the contracts. And speaking from a legal perspective, getting a master's in sports law. Drink. uh, (laughs) Yeah. But speaking from the legal perspective, it's all about contracts. So if these, if these three coaches have fully, fully guaranteed contracts, you know, it, it may not be worth, uh, you know, firing the coach mid season. 
because they still have expertise that you could hopefully use. And, you know, if you've made the investment so far, you're going to, you're going to hit your horse to that wagon and hope that uh, your team improves and you make your decision at the end of the season. But I, I, way too long of an answer, but I, when the owner wants to, if the owner wants to, if the owners want to keep their coaches and they, they think that they will turn next season, then, then that's what we'll see. Well, Aaron, you may be tired of this question, but I kind of want to take a crack at it. Um, I've got some thoughts. What a jerk. Yeah, I know, right? First, um, I think if the change does happen, it's going to be on the offseason. I don't I don't see any reason, especially more than halfway through the season at this point, to dump your entire staff right now. Um, but my thing is why I, – I hear this constantly about Houston, but I – and maybe it's out there and I'm just missing it, but I don't hear this as much about Austin and Utah. Oh, shush. You hear it about Austin every week. Maybe less about Utah, but I mean, well, I read everything. It's, I mean, all three, it's pretty loud. It was just, this is the, this person just happened to not include those three because this question comes up like every other week. What is, what is Austin going to fire their French coach? What is Utah going to send their under twenties coach back to Kiwi land? Like, <laughs> you know, like it's like, it, you know, spend more time on Reddit and you will see the noise. <laughs> Wait, what's Reddit? <laughs> oh God. It's why we can't have nice things, Corey. That's what it's, Reddit is. It's true. It takes everything that's beautiful and pure in this world and destroys it. Yeah, I don't know. Stick to Tumblr kids. It's a safe. It's a safe space, especially now. Okay. So anyway, that's my biggest thing. I just, yeah, I don't. I, I think if anything happens, it's going to be on the off season. I don't see anything happening right now. So moving along, um, SD Yeti is Toronto still a contender or slipping into pretender mode? And I guess my question to that is: Were they ever a contender? Yeah, I got to I, I got to agree with you, Corey. Uh, there was a lot of preseason hype around them because of the big Blues connection between all of the players. Uh, not to mention the countless capped Canadians. Uh, does that mean they were ever truly a contender, or they were just a flavor of the month? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, well, uh, they're kind of like San Diego. They need a lot of bonus points. San Diego is a hell of a lot closer, but I think it's mathematically possible. But uh... That's going to be tough. Pretenda, mm. it is. <laughs> and last question of the night comes from our friend CJ. Happy CJ wants to know, does the MLR have plans to deal with the referee situation? How do we up-level our refs? Where do our refs come from, and how do we get them more experience ASAP? Well, obviously, experience is just going to come with roughing more games. And, you know, as much as that sucks, you have to accept the fact that the United States is going to be a developmental country for a lot of both uh, players and referees and coaches. And we're just going to have to take some of the punches that come along with that. Now, there's also things like clinics that referees can, uh, you know, can be exposed to with uh, bringing in foreign referees to run said clinics. We can also send referees abroad to get uh, more training in, in, uh, you know, in, 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 in leagues that are a little bit more fast paced uh, and a little bit more strict with their rules. 
there's, there's a lot of things that you can do, but there's not going to be any one quick fix that's going to make, you know, 20, 20 miles ahead of where we are right now. So we have like two high performance national panel center refs in this country. Scott there Green, are, baby. There are like a few more that are on the A-level panel, but you don't see them refing MLR. You only see Derek Summers and Scott Green. So let's let's just put that into perspective. Uh, Paul Corbier is not on the A panel, by the way. So he, uh, you know, by way of his resume, from having supposedly, I don't know, um, I, from what I understand, he, he ref Pro D2 and Federal 1. So he's got a, a, a high-performance pedigree a little bit. Um, but those are the three American-based referees we haven't seen any one from canada this year uh chris asmus has not gotten a lot of uh mlr assignments and i don't know why i think he was one of the better refs last year i guess he pissed somebody off um where are the only way for us to grow our crop of referees is to continue to assign them to mlr games now you know we've got a lot of young referees learning and taking those assistant referee and fourth official slots locally uh, at every MLR game, you're seeing a lot less, uh, I guess, centralized refing teams where that same refing team, uh, I think Scott Green ref three games in one weekend. Like he refed on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, uh, once in the center and twice on as an AR. Like, I mean... <laughs> Uh, like it's a lot, the workload is being better managed this year. Now, since there's a heck of a lot more games, we've had to bring in a lot of refs. Uh, ben Krause came in, uh, the guy I mentioned earlier, Elga, Elgain. I don't, yeah, I'm not gonna try and screw that anymore. Um, Mo Chowdhury, uh, he hadn't, where's Mo Chowdhury? I haven't seen him ref a game, he did get an ARC assignment. Uh, he's a Canadian high-performance ref. Uh, I would like to see him more. He's pretty good. Uh, but uh, the the only way for is to for them to ref more high-performance games. That means uh, the high-performance collegiate games. There's there's very little uh, Division One club rugby anymore. So you know there's that you can't say Division One club is high, a high-performance game. So you have to you have a select number of collegiate games and you have MLR games is where you uh, train them up. Like I said, we're training them up, but uh, you know, it's just, it's going to take time. um, And we got to bring in more foreign refs. And I think it would be great is for Nigel Owens or Wayne Barnes to like lead some development clinics here for our uh, permanently stationed quote unquote, uh, MLR referee panel. All right. Well, CJ, I think you got your money's worth on that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we're done. I think there's a basketball yeah. game with about three minutes left that we need to get to. Straight up, man. Audi, fucking, you want to? Uh, I'm sorry, man, for the effort. Uh, Audi 5000. Yeah. Just, just. <laughs> um, hey, there's a disclaimer. Um, I work for Major League Rugby. Uh, I work opinion, for the Sabercats and the West Houston Lions. Uh, our opinions do not represent the views of our employer, and we're out. Press the button. Love you all. 
See you later. Thank you for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. We're live each Monday night on YouTube, available for download every Wednesday morning through your favorite podcast provider, and always online at earfulofdirt.com. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube and like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can share your thoughts with us via our voicemail by calling 720-600-2679. We're live again next Monday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. We'll see you then. Thank you.